a two-hour online service. We're going to have a great time today in the Word of God, and the, the Holy Spirit is going to minister to you right where you're at today. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and listen carefully today as the Word of God comes into your heart, bringing faith and mighty power from the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings first, and I want you to look with me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and we'll drop down to verse 33 and take a look at the story briefly of the Good Samaritan. And my friends, you have to understand that as we're receiving tithes and offerings today into the storehouse of God, that God wants you to be prospered. Hallelujah. And when you're prospering financially, you have the ability to be a blessing into the lives of others. But if you are restricted financially, if you have no overflow, then you will be greatly limited in the ability to do good and the ability to help others who at times you will cross paths who are in need. Now, verse 35 says, excuse me, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds. Well, it sounds to me like the Good Samaritan has a first aid kit. If he's going to bandage the wounds of the man who has been robbed and beaten and bruised and who has cuts and lacerations, he is able to pull out a first aid kit and render aid. Well, you have to go out and buy these things. You know, this is not something that's, you know, like just normal that most people carry around. This is a first aid kit that he has. So you have to be empowered to be able to go out and buy these types of things. I'm not just talking about a little tube of Neosporin. I mean, this guy's got bandages and, and all kinds of things to help. And then it says, pouring on oil and wine. So he had some further medical supplies. And then it says, and he set him on his own animal. Oh my goodness, the good Samaritan, he had his own ambulance. Praise God. Well, he called the ambulance, we could say, or he offered his own vehicle, his own means of transportation as a uh, tool to help in the recovery of this injured person. And you and I both know it costs a lot of money to dial for that ambulance. And uh, some people, they're just about dead, but they don't want to call the ambulance because after they get you to the hospital, and even if you make it back home, guess what's going to show up in the mail? A bill from the ambulance, and somebody has to pay the ambulance. They don't do that for free. Praise the Lord. Well, he is able to cover that, and you need to be financially empowered to help people. Praise God, because you will run across those who God divinely has you there at the right time, at the right place to be a blessing, praise the Lord, pouring on oil and wine and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him, brought him to an inn, took him to the hospital so that he could get the necessary treatment. Or you could even translate it uh, in a very loose way, took him to the inn, took him to the uh, embassy suites and put him up in a nice comfortable room so that his needs could be attended to while his body needed the primary thing, which is just to rest so that it can recover. And whether we, you want to uh, envision this as being put up in a hotel or being put up in the hospital, 
We both know it costs money. It, it costs a whole lot more to go to the hospital than it was uh, than what it does to go to the hotel. And not only that, this Good Samaritan, which I believe is a picture of you, this Good Samaritan even left extra money and told the innkeeper if there's more that's needed to uh, cover. When I get back, I'll make up for any expenses that will be incurred while I'm gone in the taking care of him. My Goodness, friends, we're talking about a lifestyle that goes beyond just leaving a $5 tip at the table at the restaurant. We're talking about a lifestyle where we are empowered to be a blessing. And that's what the word blessing in the Hebrew means. It, it means empowered to prosper. Why? So that we can have our needs met? Absolutely. But so that we can be in the overflow so that you can have the strength, the financial strength of a good Samaritan. Look, this is more than just a heart to do good. This is more than just compassion and sensitivity, the help. This is the empowerment to do something about it. Because you have a lot of sweet, nice people. They wish they could help, but they can't. Why? They're broke and they don't have any money. The poor cannot deliver the poor. The poor are engulfed in their own needs and troubles. You have to be in the overflow. You have to be empowered in order to help others. Really, you have to be blessed. That's really what it comes down to. You must be in a position of being blessed, and that's why you need to be a tither. That's why you need to be a sower of financial seed so that you can reap harvest, so that these blessings of God can come into your life, so that you can have the ability to respond, not just with a little prayer, well, I pray that God help you. No, no, you, you say your little prayer, but then you jump in there and you pull out your wallet, you pull out your checkbook, and, uh, you know, sometimes you can make a dramatic difference with just $50. Sometimes you can turn somebody's world upside down and set their life right with just $175. Sometimes with a little bit more, you can do things that are absolutely epic in the eyes of those who are in dire straits. But my friends, you can't do it if you're in dire straits. You can't do it if you're crushed and wiped out and defeated financially. So come on, let's work God's kingdom principles. Let's tithe. Let's sow seed. Let's bring it into the storehouse of God. This ministry operates as a storehouse dispensing the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, which is the proclaiming of the good news, and the teaching of the gospel, which is the explaining of the good news and all that's contained within the new covenant and its multifaceted benefits. So come on, jump into these principles so that God can carry you into prosperity. Tithes and offerings, the obedience to the commandments of God's word, position you for financial strength and for good Samaritan status and empowerment in your life. Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I, I'm just getting the funniest thing by the Holy Spirit. Somebody out there, you want a Lamborghini. Well, hallelujah. Let Go ahead and believe God for your Lamborghini, but believe God to be a good Samaritan. How about that? You can drive around as a good Samaritan in your Lamborghini, and then you can minister to those in need. Hallelujah. You don't have to just drive around in a clunker. Well, Pastor Stephen, the only people that are sweet or nice are the ones that drive around in clunkers. 
look, most people that are driving the clunker, that they don't really have the ability to jump somebody else's battery. They're needing somebody to jump their battery that just died. Uh, how many people in the parking lot need a battery jumped on a new Mercedes-Benz? No, it's usually the person with the battery that hasn't been replaced for 25 years. My friends, the Good Samaritans are the ones that are empowered. Glory to God. Let God take you into a place of empowerment by operating on his kingdom principles. You're going to have a lot of fun. I'm telling you, you're going to have a lot of fun as a good Samaritan. Woo, hallelujah. Driving around with your own vehicle. This guy had his own, his own animal, his own vehicle, had his own ambulance on call. Glory to God. You are blessed. You'll be able to make that call. Why? Because you can pay for it. Woo, hallelujah. Mm, 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 mm. God wants you. Come on, think about it for a moment. As you're getting your tithes and offerings ready, think about the lifestyle of the Good Samaritan being being empowered to help people. Oh, it feels good. Now, now, yes, there's a great blessing from them, but it's greater for you. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's the giver that's the empowered person. Oh, ooh, come on, think about it for a moment. That's you, the Good Samaritan, going about doing good. This really has reflections of Acts 10.38 when it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good, doing good. Well, Pastor Stephen, that just meant he went about preaching. Oh, he did a lot of preaching, but look, he went about doing good. He did so much good that when Judas went out to betray him on the night that they had the Last Supper, that most of the disciples thought Judas was getting up to go out and give money to the poor. Well, why on earth would they think that? Because he did it all the time under the directive of Jesus. Woo! By the way, you don't have a treasurer if you're broke. What kind of a ministry has a treasurer? A ministry that is prosperous, a ministry that has a storehouse where you can put the overflow into. Pastor Stephen, Jesus was a broke, barefoot preacher. I've never met a broke preacher yet who had his own treasurer and had 12 people full-time on staff with him. No, that doesn't sound like a poor, broke ministry to me. Hallelujah. My friends, God wants you to be a good Samaritan. Bring now the tithes into the Lord's storehouse, into the Lord's storehouse, that there might be provision in his house, that the work of God might go forth full speed ahead. If you want to bring them in online, you can do so right now. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the home page called Tides and Offerings, Sow and Reap. Go there right now. You can do it 24-7, 365 days of the year. If you're watching this message uh, online somehow and this is uh, you're watching it 20 years into the future, you can still go online and bring tithes and offerings into the storehouse so that the work of God will continue until Christ comes back. If you want to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International. P.O. Box 3456, Mooresville, North Carolina, zip code 28117. Father, as your people obey you in tithes and offerings and honoring your kingdom protocol of prosperity, bring them into Good Samaritan status. Bring them into the blessing, empowered to prosper, that they might be able to do things like this. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Say, I receive it, and amen. Praise God. You are blessed. Praise God. Well, today, let's talk about the den of thieves and who's hanging out in there and knowing who they are so that we can guard ourselves 
from their sly and deceitful tactics. We will start today from the Gospel of Mark. Please turn over with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and we will go to verse 23. Hallelujah. Are you blessed today? I know that you are. Hallelujah. I know that God is big. We've got a great big God, and there's just a little bitty devil out there. Woo, that sound, that just felt so good to say that in my spirit. Let me say it one more time. We have a great big God, and yet there in the earth, there's just a little bitty devil. Hallelujah. So God is great. The devil is defeated, and Jesus Christ is Lord. Mark chapter 11. Heavenly Father, let your word come alive in our hearts. Let faith become so strong in our hearts that we are able to take hold of all of your promises pertaining to our life and walk them out into fullness. Now, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the mighty work of your Spirit, illuminating the eyes of our understanding in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Mark 11, verse 23 says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. We want to talk about that today does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, in context, you will have what you say if you do not doubt in your heart. Praise the Lord today. Glory to God. We want to deal with these thieves of doubt and unbelief, which in many ways have stolen from God's very own holy, sanctified people have even robbed from the people of God. You know, nobody likes to get something stolen from. If, you, if you've ever been robbed of something, that uh, reality of realizing, wait a minute, it's gone. The sudden awareness of, uh-oh, it's not here anymore. Uh, and then you realize what happened. That's, that's just not a good feeling at all. So we don't want any form of theft taking place in our life. And I want to give you a big heads up today on the two thieves hanging out in the den of thieves that are called doubt and unbelief. Now, remember one more time, Jesus said in verse uh, uh, 23, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So the center portion of this very powerful scripture revolves around keeping doubt out of our heart. If doubt gets into your heart, it will begin to separate you from the strength of the word. The word doubt in the Greek and the word unbelief in the Greek. Now, the, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. Those two words are different. They're very similar, but they're still two different Greek words, doubt and unbelief. The word doubt in the Greek has as its core meaning the ability to separate, to begin to drift away from something. And that's what uh, that doubt does. You begin to slowly separate from the strength of God's word. Something is distracting you, dis, uh, separating you from that thing which has the ability to support and hold you up. And that's what the enemy will try to do. He will try to get you into doubt. If you get you into doubt, you will start to sink in life. You'll start to go under. Doubt does not have the ability to hold you up. 
Praise God. Now, having said this, let's go now to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, this is also part B, or message 2, in the series of Doubt and Unbelief, uh, the Thieves that Rob from the People of God, okay? So we're, we are going into the, the den of thieves today. We're exposing them. We're turning the light on in this very dark room so we can see who they are and how they work against us, the people of God. We are now in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. Ooh, I like that, having a little fun at night. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And you know at nighttime, uh, especially in the middle of a storm with waves and the wind blowing and things like that, uh, you know, things can make weird-looking shapes. Clouds can look very ominous and, and uh, evil. Uh, shadows seem to form uh, 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 for, uh, like images or molds of like uh, evil-looking type things and uh, a, lot, a lot of weird, bizarre stuff. But nevertheless, Jesus, is, he's Lord of the day. He's still Lord of the night also, and he's there with us. And, and they actually, the disciples thought they were seeing a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "Be of good cheer. I mean, I mean, be happy. Come on, be of good cheer. Let's not let's not look for a devil behind every bush. You have some Christians that are very devil conscious. Uh, Pastor Stephen, you pray at three o'clock in the morning. Yes, I do. Ooh, Pastor Stephen, watch out. That's the bewitching hour. That's the hour where the devil's busy. No, it's not. Every hour, every minute belongs to God. Jesus is Lord over three o'clock in the morning. And by the way, it's not the devil's hour. It's God's hour." Woo, hallelujah, come on, that's where the glory is at, that's where the anointing is at, and God owns 4 o'clock, God owns 5 o'clock, God owns every hour, every day, so let's not be devil conscious, we know he's out there, we know what he's up to, but let's be people who are God conscious, if you're going to look for a devil, stop looking for a devil, start looking for an angel, hallelujah, start expecting something good to happen, be of good cheer. That's the first thing that Jesus wants to do is get this fear off of them. Be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. See, some people, they like to see others get afraid. They think it's funny to watch people get, you get shocked or have some kind of a you know, panic attack. No, 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 it's not funny. Immediately try to relieve people from fear just as quickly as possible if you have the power to do that. One of the fastest ways to do it is just flip the light on. Woo, glory to God. Mm -mm. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, just want to make sure you're not Casper the ghost floating around out there. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. I like that. Bold and authoritative. Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let's talk about that for a moment. He walked on the water. He actually did it. But you, you have to look very closely at what's going on here. This is the suspension of a natural law. God himself established natural laws. And if you violate natural laws without divine intervention, you'll get in trouble. You will, you will uh, experience the effects of breaking that law. Okay, so you can jump out of an airplane if you want, 
but if there is no miracle intervention of God, I hope you packed your parachute. Praise the Lord. So, he's actually walking on the water. But you and I both know that water, which is H2O, uh, you know, you have, you have the components of hydrogen and oxygen, uh, that is not able to support human weight. So really, if we want to be technical, and I, I think we need to be for a moment, what is actually supporting Peter? Because you can't walk on water unless there's a miracle. So what is holding Peter up? The word come. Do you see that? The word of God is holding him up. And as long as he believes that word, as long as he keeps his focus on Jesus, and when I say focus on Jesus, focus on what Jesus said, okay? Because he and his word are one. As long as Peter is standing on the word come, it will support him. Woo! Do you see it? So really, he's walking on the word that's what's going on, because you can't walk on water unless God gives you a word that gives you permission to do that. Now, he has received that word. And, and Well, Pastor Stephen, no, I, I don't believe that. Well, if you don't believe it, just go out and walk on water, see if it works. It doesn't work unless he tells you it will work, unless he gives you permission or he gives uh, that supernatural ability to override temporarily, because it's only temporary, to override temporarily natural law. And if you've got that thumbs up from the Lord, it will support you. So he had the support. He had permission. He had the green light, the thumbs up. Come. So he walks out on the word. Look, I want to tell you right now that the word will support you against all negative circumstances. If you walk on the word, you will begin to walk above every trial and difficulty of life. It doesn't matter how violent, stormy, difficult it is. If you start standing on what Christ spoke to you and told you in his word, he and his word are one, you cannot separate them, then you will begin to experience victory consecutively and continually in your life. But if you take your eyes off the word, you will begin to go under. Why? Let's talk about that. What actually supported Peter? The word did. What was the specific word? Come. Okay. So why did he begin to sink? Well, it tells us quite clearly. Praise God. Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began, excuse me, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, they, they got into the boat and Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Doubt what? Doubt the word come. That's what he doubted. So he stepped off of a platform of the word. Now, as long as he's walking on the word come, long as that's the focus of his concentration, he is walking above his circumstances. He is walking literally on water. But the moment he changed platforms and he moved from a platform that was stable and secure, which is called the Word of God, the moment he got off the Word of God, he began to sink. Why? Because he moved from the platform of the Word and now he is on a platform called doubt. And doubt cannot hold you up. It, it's not designed to. 
Doubt is designed to rob and steal from you. Doubt is designed to destroy your life. Doubt has no intention of you ever achieving anything in life. It cannot hold you up. Well, then why would Peter move off a stable platform called the Word and move over here to a platform of doubt which caused him to sink? Because look, Jesus said, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? The reason he went under and sunk was because of doubt. Why did, he, why did he do that? Because the Bible says, verse 30, but when he saw, oh, I, I could stop right there and shout hallelujah. We could, I could just explain that, wrap this message up, and, and, and we'd, be, we'd be full course uh, buffet stuff. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But when he saw, how does the devil work to get you into doubt? How do people of God move from a place of victory and triumph and stable platform over into something that can't support them? Why? How does it happen? By carefully observing and meditating on your natural conditions. See, it says, but when he saw, when he saw, and if you focus on what you see, what you feel, and all you get into this sensory realm, you begin to think, uh, yeah, you know what, I, I, I'm just not feeling good. Maybe I'm not healed after all. And you begin to just meditate on what the doctor said over and over and over and over again. Look, we are aware in life when we have storms. The, the, Peter is a professional fisherman. He's not acting like there's not a storm. Okay, we know there's a storm, but we're not focusing on the storm. We're not focusing on the trial. We're not focusing on our circumstances. Yes, we're aware of them. We're not acting foolish. We're not acting like the medical report's not there. We're not acting like the bills aren't real. I mean, they do need to get paid. We're, we're, but we're not acting like this stuff is not here and we're off in la-la land somewhere. But what I'm saying is that while we are aware of this, we do not make that our focus. Well, Pastor Stephen, what do we make our focus? We make our focus on what will support us and hold us up and give us victory, which is the word. In Peter's case, it was the word come. And as long as he's walking on that water and he's thinking, he told me to come. His word will hold me. He told me to come. His word will hold me. He said, come. He gave me permission. I have a legal right to do this. As long as you're walking on the word, it will uphold you. It doesn't matter what is going on in your life. You'll just stay above water. You'll stay above water. You'll stay above water. It doesn't matter if the Titanic sinks. You will stay above water if you walk on the word. If you walk on the word, you will walk on the water. If you walk on the word, you will walk above your circumstances, and they will not drown you. Woo, hallelujah. Does it take a lot of work to do it? Does it take a lot of focus to do it? Yes, because all of these circumstances scream. They holler. Look, storms are loud. They make a lot of noise. And they say, look at me. Take your focus off of Christ. Take your focus off what he said. And look at how big and bad I am. Ooh, look at how nasty I am. Look at how hard and difficult I am to overcome. Come over here and look at me. Mm, mm, mm. That's what got Peter. When he saw, the moment he started looking at all of this other stuff, doubt got him. Doubt got him. And what did doubt 
do. It stole from Peter a miracle testimony. Oh, oh, I know he had some testimony. He did walk on the water. But it's not, it's not a full miracle. It's not complete in the sense that, hey, okay, so you got out of the boat and you, what, took five steps? That's awesome. That, that is pretty cool. But you didn't go all the way out there to where he was at. And not only that, you're supposed to come back. You're supposed to come back. You're supposed to be able to stand up in church and give your full testimony. You're supposed to email me at contact at stephenbrooks.org and say, Pastor Stephen, I got the full testimony. I don't just have a half-baked potato. No, it's baked all the way through, and it's an awesome story. You've got to hear this. Hallelujah. Have you ever heard somebody stand up in church and give a testimony, and you're still waiting for the punchline? Uh, they keep talking about the great trial, the great negativity, and you're, you're waiting for the kicker, and it never comes. And then they, they say, praise God, and they sit down, and you're like, no, no, hold on a minute. Is it just me, or is that like, that wasn't a testimony. That was like a gripe report. That was like the grunge report. Uh, that was like uh, bad news that we didn't, we couldn't turn it around. And you're like, why stand up even and even say that? Right, right, right. So look, this is what I'm trying to say. Peter walked on the water some, but it's not God's best. And the devil knows that you can have some faith, but he doesn't want you to come in the full faith. Notice, Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. What is little faith? Little faith, half-baked results. Little faith, you had some results, but you didn't, you didn't knock it out of the park. You hit a home run in the game, but you still lost the game. You threw an awesome touchdown pass. They caught it. Wow, it was a great play, but you still lost the game. You, you, you know, you had an epic moment. It was really cool. But all in all, all in all, you won a battle, but you lost the war. Okay, little faith. <coughs> excuse me, is little results. Is little results. Why do we have little results? Doubt, taking our eyes off the word. If you if you get over on doubt, doubt cannot support you, and doubt will rob from you, and doubt will steal from you, and will take from you the full miracle the greater glory that God wants you to come in to. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at this very, very quickly in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I think many of you could probably quote this verse by heart, John 10, and verse 10. The thief does not come. Now, this is Jesus talking. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you, uh, that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, this is a reference, the thief is a reference to Satan, the devil, and Satan comes to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. Anything that kills, and steals, and destroys is satanic, okay? So doubt, stealing from you, robbing even from the people of God, reveals that doubt is satanic in its origin. Therefore, doubt is not your friend. Doubt, hear me today, is a thief. Therefore, doubt is your enemy. Anybody that's trying to steal from you and rip you off 
is not your friend. Now, there might be a few people that are a little bit slow. Okay, now, I know most of you are going to get this. <laughs> okay, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm speaking to a wide audience. And just in case, there's a few people. Well, maybe it's taking the elevator a little longer to get to the top. I want you to know that anything that's trying to rip you off and steal from you, that is not your friend. Even if they talk nice to you, that, 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 that is not the kind of person that you want in your life. Well, Pastor Stephen, a little doubt. There's nothing wrong with that. Doubt will rob from you. Doubt will rip you off from the greater blessings and the greater glory that God wants you to experience. It is your enemy. Do not listen to it. Do not yield to it. Do not accommodate or give in to doubt. You can't afford to do it. It'll, it will take from you what rightfully belongs to you. Glory to God. Look, if it can rip off Peter, I mean, Peter is not just in the 12. I mean, these are the closest men on the planet to Jesus. He's not just in the 12. He's in the inner circle of the three, and he leads the three. And if doubt can rip off the rock, the great apostle, you better watch out. It'll try to get in there and, and work with you too. Keep your eyes on the word. You'll never sink. You'll stay up top. It doesn't matter what's going on in the government. It doesn't matter what's going on in the nation. It doesn't matter if there's recession. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you will, if you will walk on the word, you'll walk on the water. If you will walk on the war, word, it will support you through anything, and you'll stay on top. But we see here in John 10.10 10, that doubt is satanic, and doubt is your enemy. It is your adversary, and you need to resist it. Why? Because it's trying to rob and steal from you. That's what a thief does. And so we know that this is not a friend. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to notice something as I'm going to, I'm going to continue to talk about doubt and unbelief, and they're they're trying to steal from you. But I want you to notice something as a student of the word, as a person who wants to move in miracle power, who wants to operate in the gifts of the spirit, who wants to flow in the anointing of the power of God. I want you to notice something very interesting here. In the gospel of Matthew, where we were just at, looking at the story of Peter walking on the water and and uh, moving into really what is a miraculous realm. You have to understand that to get into the power gifts, what are the power gifts? Special faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for your reference. In order to move into the power gifts, you go into them first by moving through the revelation gifts. The revelation gifts reveal something. The power gifts do something. Working of miracles does something, like walking on water. Well, Pastor Stephen, I'd really like to come into that. Okay, how do you come into power gifts? How do you come into working of miracles and these, these things that are like, see, you have to remember, working of miracles, these are the things that are just like the shockers. These are the things that can't be faked. These are the things that leave people in a sense of like speechlessness where they're like, I don't know what to say about that. See, that's the element of the awe of God. The, the element of awe is, is the element of I can't really wrap my brain around that one. 
I don't know what to do about that one. My, my atheistic ideas have no explanation for that. Okay, so that, that, that's the, the working of miracles is wonderful for unbelievers because it really, really gives them something to chew on. How do we come into greater manifestations of the power gifts? You come into them through the revelation gifts. What are the revelation gifts? They are the three gifts that reveal something. Word of wisdom. Ooh, ooh, so rich and good. If there's any one gift you want manifested, it is the word of wisdom. It's phenomenal. Okay, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. All three of them reveal something. Okay, so... How did Peter end up out there walking on the water? How did he end up in the middle of operating in working of miracles? He got out there through the word of wisdom. When Jesus said, come, that's, that's more than just an invitation. That is the manifestation of the word of wisdom. Look, all nine gifts are miraculous and supernatural in their origin and in their function. When Jesus said, come, that is an invitation brought forth through word of wisdom. In other words, the word of wisdom, you can get out here and you can do this. Now, if there is no word of wisdom, if there is no word come, and you step out of that boat, you will be subjected to natural law. And in this case, you'll sink. Praise the Lord. But if there is the word by the Spirit of God spoken forth by the Lord saying, come, then you have permission to go out there and do that. And so oftentimes, so many times in the word of God, when you see somebody operating in working of miracles, you have to understand they got into that gift through Somehow, usually, one of the revelation gifts, it was revealed to Peter, you can do this. How was it revealed? Through the word of wisdom, spoken by who? Jesus. Saying what? Saying, come. It is a supernatural word of wisdom. And you get that word, you can go for it. And he, Peter got the word, and he went for it, and he could have had the full manifestation of going all the way out there and all the way back. Well, Pastor Stephen, I, I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't Jesus' will. Maybe Jesus just wanted to make fun of Peter so that he would be humbled and let him sink. Uh, no, no, no. God wanted him to go all the way out and then walk all the way back with Jesus into the boat. This was never supposed to be a sinking experience. This was supposed to be a triumphant act. But even in the middle of the manifestation of the working of miracles, even in the middle of the manifestation of the power gifts operating in now in Peter's life, he begins to get his eyes off the word come, off the word of God, and he begins to observe all of his circumstances. It pulled him out of the spirit. It pulled him into the natural. It moved him over now into a place of doubt. Doubt will never, ever support you. Why would you want to go over into a place of doubt? Glory to God. If you're not careful... Doubt will just steal from you over and over and over again. Shut down these thieves out of your life. They are the thieves of doubt and unbelief. Praise God. Praise God. You know, in Numbers chapter 13, it tells us that the 12 spies gave their report to the children of Israel. Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12, gave a very positive, faith-filled report Let's go up and take the land now. 
Now, now, why were they like that? Because they were basically saying, God has already told us that he has given us the land. So why are we going to argue about it, debate about it, talk about it? It's already settled. Well, Pastor Stephen, why is it settled? Because God said through his servant Moses, it's yours. Go take it. We do not need to have a conference about this. We just need to go and obey the word. Hallelujah. Well, the ten spies out of the twelve, they gave what the Bible calls an evil report. That would be Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. It says they gave an evil report. Well, what was contained in their report that was so evil? Really, it was, it was just a report of unbelief. It was nothing but a proclamation of doubt and unbelief. Oh, yes, it is a really good land. We've been there. We've seen it with our own eyeballs, and uh, we've even eaten and tasted of some of the fruits of the land. But, oh, no, we can never take this land. There's giants that live there. The descendants of the uh, Anakim are there. It's just impossible. We're just like grasshoppers in their sight. We're just a bunch of nobodies. Uh, we, we can't do it. We can't do it. And they completely got their eyes off of the word. Now, again, when I say off of the word and off of God, they got their eyes off literally what God said. It's yours. I've already given it to you. Go take it. And they got their eyes off of that, and, and they got their eyes on the giants. And what happened? They got into doubt. Doubt robbed them again. Now, watch this. Watch this. Ten people that were in doubt caused three million people to have their inheritance stolen. A whole generation of three million people, exclusive of two, Joshua and Caleb and their families, all of the others, three million people were robbed by doubt and unbelief, and a whole generation could not take what rightfully belonged to them. They had it stripped, robbed, and stolen right out from beneath their nose. They could have gone that day and taken what belonged to them. How come they didn't do it? They were robbed. Do you see that doubt and unbelief robbed Three million people. It robbed the very own people of God. The Israelites were the only certified people of God on the earth at that time. They were the only people that had covenant with God. But yet God's own people, three million of them, were robbed because ten people spread a report of unbelief. And doubt, and God called it an evil report. By the way, in Numbers chapter 14, it's something that's not often talked about. Those ten spies that gave the report of unbelief and doubt, they died that day before the Lord. God did not like that. He did not like that. <laughs> I, th I think sometimes we don't talk about that. We just talk about the ten spies gave the bad report. They did. They gave the evil report, the bad report. But sometimes we failed to mention that they dropped dead all ten of them, and died before the Lord. He was not happy. Why? Because they gave permission for doubt to rip off the entire Israelite family of God, all of them, stolen and robbed from by doubt. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Look, you can be full of faith. You can listen to me preach these messages. But if you run in an, an environment where you hang out with people Maybe even Christians, they love God, but they're clueless about divine healing, don't believe in it, 
They're clueless about the baptism and the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. They think it's nuts. They don't believe in it. Even if they love Jesus and they're saved, uh, if you get around people like that, that, are, that, are, uh, that have no knowledge of their covenant rights, and you get around them and start talking to them, that, look, the next thing you know, they're trying to talk you out of it. They'll say things to you, you know what, you don't, you, you don't look too good. Are you sure that this is going to work? And they'll try to get you over it in unbelief. They'll try to get you to doubt the promises of God because they don't know the promises of God. They have no interest in it. They're saved. They're going to heaven. But that's all they know. They have no knowledge of their covenant rights. If you hang out with people like that, you have to be very, very careful because they will talk you out of your blessing. And they'll get you over in the doubt. What happens if you get into doubt? You'll be robbed of what rightfully belongs to to you, and I'll just tell you, I'll tell you what, if you hang out with people like that, serves you right, serves you right, well, Pastor Stephen, that's where all about, you know, this is the church I go to, because this is where my grandmother went to, and my great-grandmother, she sat in that pew right over there, and I, I just need to go here, because these are my people, people of unbelief, I'm not saying they're not saved, but th these are people that just revel in doubt, revel in self-pity, revel in why God just, uh, you know, doesn't do it. You know, and they got all these weird uh, theologies. The theology of, well, Pastor Stephen, you just never know what God might do. I mean, some people he wants, maybe he just chooses to heal them, and other people, maybe it's just his, his will for them to die and come on home. If you hang out with the doubters, you will be finding yourselves, uh, you'll find yourself also being a do-withouter. Okay, because doubt is a thief. Doubt is a thief. Doubt will rob you. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you're a believer. It will rob you if you get into doubt. It will steal from you and take from you. Woo! Be very, very careful who you run with. If you're hanging out with chickens, you cannot soar like an eagle. Praise God. Doubt, I'm telling you, doubt's deadly. Doubt's deadly. If you're in some dead, dry church that doesn't believe in miracles, that doesn't believe in the power of God, what are you doing there? Well, Pastor Stephen, these are this. This is where I belong. I just I've gone here for the last fifty years. I feel comfortable here. Well, I hope you feel comfortable while you get stolen from. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing comfortable about getting ripped off. I, I don't like it. I don't have time for religious tradition. If it doesn't work, I am not playing around with it. I don't have time for religious fuddly dudley stuff. It doesn't work. Praise God. Matter of fact, it makes me righteously angry. I sat in a dead denomination for over 20 years of my life, getting plundered by the enemy. Was I saved? Yes. Did I love Jesus? Yes. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, led song leading, did, uh, did all kinds of things, on fire for God, and was just ripped off by the devil left and right. Why? I had no clue that unbelief and doubt were enemies. We actually thought they were buddies. We just thought that they, they had, we had, we probably had pews reserved for doubt and unbelief. <laughs> Why? Because the church was loaded with it. Mm, we, we doubted everything. We, we just doubt all kinds of stuff. We even had uh, uh, doctrines uh, that were conformed uh, for doubt and unbelief. One of the biggest ones would revolve around what I would call the sovereignty of God. Well, Pastor Stephen, God's just going to do what he's going to do because God's sovereign. And it doesn't matter what we do, he's going to do what he wants to do. The, the, the doctrine of sovereignty is a doctrine that religious people uh, invent and create 
to excuse themselves from responsibility of why they did not believe the word. Woo! Hallelujah. I feel some pushback on that in the spirit. Woo, but I like it. It's true. <laughs> well, Pastor Stephen, God's just going to do what he wants to do. It doesn't matter what we do. He's going to do what he wants to do because he's God and he's sovereign. No, we have free choice. We have free will. We have responsibility. We will answer before the Lord for the way we chose to live our lives. And if you choose to let doubt come in, you chose that. That was not God's will for your life. It was not Jesus' will for Peter to sink. Praise God. God does not have failure and defeat in his game plan for, his, for your life. It's not like over here he's got a game plan for Stephen Brooks. Victory, yes. Uh, winning, yes. Triumph, yes. Victory, yes. That, that's for Pastor Stephen. Now, now here's, here's God's game plan for you. Losing, mm, yes. Sickness, yeah, yeah, yes. Let's put some of this more on them. Uh, tragedy and, uh, and horrible experiences, yes, yes, yes. That, that, that's somehow in your life because God's sovereign. No, my friends, you have to understand that you must choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve God? You're going to serve uh, the devil in the sense where you just let him run uh, haywire in your life, let him run loose in your life. No, 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 no. Get the thieves out of your life. Get doubt and unbelief out of your life. Hallelujah. Mm, 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 mm. Now, 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 we need to talk about this. Within the kingdom of darkness, within Satan's elite forces that are a unit that is designed to deal with those who are actively, aggressively going after the blessings of God. Within the kingdom of darkness, there is a group that specifically targets those who are endeavoring to hold to the word of God. There is a group, same group, that really is assigned to those who, watch out, just might break free. Mm. The enemy has a group. That's, that's, uh, that's a very dangerous group, and I, I need to tell you about them so you know how to deal with them, because they, they're, all, they're all tied in to doubt and unbelief. They're all hanging out in the den of thieves together. This group that I'm referring to of demonic forces, of satanic army array, are known as lying symptoms. I'm going to call them out again. They're called lying symptoms. It is a special division within the satanic army. They are a unit of special forces. They are called, as a group, lying symptoms. Their whole job, the whole job of lying symptoms, their whole job is to get you to doubt God's word so that they can take away from you what perhaps you even gained, and you gain it, and you're enjoying it, and it makes the devil so mad that he actually sends his very best against you. They're called lying symptoms to try to steal and take from you what you have actually won in battle. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They, they want to get you over into doubt. This is how they work. You receive healing in your body. You stand on the word of God. And a great miracle takes place. Perhaps you're in a meeting and the gifts of healings were in mighty manifestation and you receive a healing. 
and, and your hearing has been restored. Well, you might go three or four months with perfect hearing, and then you wake up one morning, and you notice that your hearing has had a considerable loss. What's going on? You're being attacked. You're being bombarded by lying symptoms. What are they trying to get you to do? They're trying to get you to think. They're trying to get you to uh, think along a line of doubt. Was I really healed? Did God really heal me? Well, if he did, why, why, is, why is it starting to go away? Why am I losing my, my hearing? What's going on here? Those are lying symptoms that are trying to take from you something that you genuinely won, that was, just, uh, that was given to you. Praise God. You must learn to resist lying symptoms. They're going to try to get you in the doubt. Resist, resist, resist lying symptoms. I ministered once in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And while ministering in this particular church, I prayed over a man who had scoliosis of the spine for 44 years. Severe curvature in the spine. Pain every day in his body for 44 years. I prayed for him. The gifts of healings was moving very, very strong in my, in, in my life. And he was absolutely, look, I, uh, that's why gifts of healings is plural. Because there are certain diseases I, I've got an anointing for. I have a gift for scoliosis. I've had crazy miracles and healings take place with the most awful case of, uh, cases of scoliosis, car accidents where people's spines and, and their, uh, they are destroyed, tremendous back problems. For some reason, when those people stand before me, it's just as easy to get them healed I, 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 I just have a, tr I have a special gift of faith for that. And it's very, very easy, uh, just as easy for me for, to pray for them and get them healed as it is to drink a, uh, take a drink of water. That was easy. It's just so easy for me to get people healed of back problems, even severe back problems. It's a gift God has given me. So that's why gifts of healings is plural. Okay, so I know certain ones I've got. I'll tackle anything, but I know some of them. I, I'm like, I've got this. And, and when it comes to backs, I've got that gift. Praise God. So this guy, 44 years, scoliosis of the spine, healed instantly, right on the spot. All pain gone, all symptoms of scoliosis just obliterated from his body completely, right there with one prayer. And he was ecstatic. Uh, he, he even told me that the next day he went home and he moved a very large television. This is, you know, this is when we didn't have these thin screen TVs. He moved this very large television from one room to another just as a validation that he is doing something that he never, ever could have done before. And I, he, I tell you what, he was ecstatic about it. Um, but he told me, he said six months went by without any pain perfect back, loving life, living life, doing things he could never do before. And he woke up one morning in bed, and he his whole back locked up. And every symptom rushed back on him. Every pain, every foul symptom of scoliosis rushed into his body. Now, this is what many people would do. They would say, oh, well, I, I guess I'm not healed anymore. I guess I, 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 maybe I did have it. I don't. Well, maybe I really didn't have it at all. Maybe it was just some kind of temporary uh, thing that I was experiencing. 
Nevertheless, I, I, I don't have it. I, I guess I now, I now have scoliosis again. See, if you give in to lying symptoms through doubt, they'll rob and take from you your healing. Somebody's getting a revelation today. And I, I, I said to him, I said, what did you do when that happened? He said, Pastor Stephen, as I lay there in extreme pain, so stiff in my back that I could not even set up to get out of the bed, he said, I screamed, Satan, you cannot put this scoliosis back on me. This is a lying symptom, and I reject these symptoms. They're all lies. I don't receive them. He said that when he said that, he got a little bit of relief, but then it just would all come back on him again. And he said that he rolled out of bed and flopped on the floor. He was in so much pain, he couldn't even get out of bed normally. So he forced himself just to roll off the bed, and he laid there on the floor, and he screamed, Satan, I reject your lying symptoms. You are not putting scoliosis back on me ever again. Stephen Brooks, the prophet of God, prayed for me. I was healed six months ago, and I'm staying healed. I will not receive these symptoms. And he had a battle. I'm telling you, he had a fierce battle. And if he would have given in to doubt, if he would have gotten over there just for a moment, see, doubt can't support you. Doubt cannot hold you up. It's not designed to. It's designed to steal from you. If he would have moved from the platform of the word and would have gotten over on doubt, he would have sunk. He would have lost an awesome miracle. He would have had a partial miracle that lasted only for six months. But he said, no, Satan, you're never putting your filth back on me ever again. And he resisted. And it went, this went on for about two hours. And finally, after about two hours, it broke. Every symptom has left. And now, hear me, it has now been over 10 years. Totally healed. Totally healed. Totally healed. There is a elite uh, division within the ranks of the satanic forces of the satanic army of darkness called lying spirits. You must know how to resist them. They will try to rob from you your healing. They will try to rob from you your deliverance. You'll think, well, if I'm delivered, why am I having these urges in my body? If I'm, if I'm truly delivered from alcohol, how come I feel like I still want to have a drink? If I'm delivered from immorality, how come I have all these passions that still seem to flare up? I'll tell you what you need to deal with. Uh, what, what scripture you need to take a hold of to deal with these lying spirits. Have you been delivered? Yes. If you cry out to God sincerely and say, Jesus, by the power of your shed blood, come and deliver me from every vice, every foul habit, every addiction, break it, O God, in your power. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will come and he will work and he'll sever. Hallelujah. You don't have to go through some type of exorcism where your head spins around and green vomit begins to come up out of your belly. You don't need to have uh, stuff like that. Now, if there are exorcisms at times and there is a spirit that needs to come out and there's some yuckiness that's attached to that, so be it. We don't want to try to fabricate something. If that happens, okay, it happens. We'll deal with it and on we go. But many, many times you just need to ask the Lord for his deliverance power receive it, and then stand on the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter if there's a manifestation or not. All that matters is results. Look, we are we're into results. We're not just into religious stuff. 
we want the word because the word works. We don't have time for all this other stuff. We only want the word. And if you will stand on your deliverance in Christ and hold to it, hallelujah, even when line symptoms come, you, you can overcome. Let me show you how to overcome it very, very quickly so that you never get robbed from ever again. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Glory to God. This is, this is the life of Abraham. Romans 4, verse 19. Are you ready? And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. What would have happened to Abraham if he would have considered his body and realized, you know what? I'm an old man. How in the world? Can I ever have a child with my wife? She's an old woman. What, what if he would have considered his body? He would have gotten over in the doubt. What happens when you get in the doubt? You sink. See, some of you, bless your hearts. I know you have financial struggles, but you're over there. All you do is consider your bills. Consider the fact that you don't have enough money. You consider you, your bills. You consider them all day long, and you never consider that you have a Jehovah Jireh in your life. You never consider that the Lord God is your shepherd and you shall not want. You... Uh, uh, and even though God wants to be your Jehovah Jireh, even he, although he wants to be your shepherd, he cannot because you're over here in doubt and all you're doing is considering your circumstances. And what happens when you get in the doubt? You sink. And it's no fun. It's no fun being submerged in doubt and unbelief. Why? Because you're losing. You're losing. Now, it says that he did not consider his own body. Some of you you're giving too much consideration to your circumstances. And oftentimes, these are circumstances in your own body. Well, Pastor Stephen, if, I, if I'm really, uh, if you prayed over me for me to be delivered from cigarettes and nicotine, why do I still have these urges that rise up in my body? Maybe I'm not delivered after all. Ah, you're considering the urges in your body. You're considering the way you feel. Remember, Peter, when he began to see the wind and the waves, when he began to see, okay, when you began to feel, all this stuff is sensory realm. All this stuff is stuff that's associated with the physical realm of man. If you begin to consider your own body, you'll begin to doubt God's deliverance. You'll begin to doubt that God has actually healed you. Well, Pastor Stephen, if, I, if I'm really healed, why do I have these symptoms that have been coming back in my body? Lying symptoms. Reject, reject. Hit the reject button on lying symptoms. Do not receive them. If you start to consider them and make room for them, you will get into doubt, and then you will, they, will be, they will be able to take your healing, your blessing, your miracle, your testimony, and then not only will they take it, they'll put back on you what you were originally uh, bound with in the first place. You don't want to mess with these guys. Now, uh, lock them out. Walk in, uh, walk in the protection and the canopy of the blood of Jesus. Give them no access to your life. Do not meditate on doubt. See, it says with Abraham, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He did not consider his own body. But Pastor Stephen, you don't understand how I feel. He did not consider his own body. Pastor Stephen, you, you, you don't understand these urges that rise up. He did 
not consider his own body. Stop considering your body. Stop watching and looking at all the sensory uh, physical perceptions of, of your circumstances that are negative. Hallelujah. Stop doing that. Focus on the word. Focus on the word. Eyes on the Lord. What does it mean to have your eyes on the Lord? That your eyes are on, your spiritual eyes are on what he said. That and that alone is the only thing that will hold you up. Glory to God. And you know what? It's all you need. It's all you need. Glory to God. Come on. Take those wandering eyes off doubt and unbelief. Come on. Move them over here. 2020. Right on the word of God. Right on Jesus. Right on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hallelujah. Right on Acts and Romans. And through the whole good book. Hallelujah. It's the good book. You've got plenty of material to walk on. Come on. Get over here. Get over here now. And you'll start walking above every circumstance in life. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. You, you know that Abraham knew. He knew that his body didn't have that ability. He knew that. He, he knows that at this great age, he can't go out and run 100 meters in 11 seconds. He can't run it in 20 seconds. He, he, he knows that, that physically the body is, is just, that's a no-go in those areas. But he's, does, he's not considering that. Well, then what is he considering? He's considering the promise. You're going to have a child. You're, you and your wife are going to have a child. Woo, a miracle child. And that's all he's focusing on. What is he focusing on? The word, the word, the word. Get your eyes back on the word. Woo, hallelujah. Come on, this is the year that you bloom. This is the year that you blossom. This is the year that you run with the Lord. This is the year of the oil and, and your steps being bathed with cream. Come on, eyes back on the Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Be free right now from every lying symptom. Be free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The power of God setting you free. Working in your body now. I command every lying symptom to cease and desist in your life. Loose the people of God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, my friends, you talk to the devil. You talk to these lying symptoms and you say, no, you don't. No, you don't. You are not coming back on me. You have no access into my life. You talk to them. Talk to them and say, no, you don't. Get out. Talk to them. Hallelujah. Talk to them. Praise God. Glory to God. And talk to your body and say, no body. No, I consider myself dead to these things. Hallelujah. Consider myself dead to it. And your body says, I'm in pain. I'm dead to it. Glory to God. Eyes on the word. Eyes on the word. Hallelujah. Father, bless your people with eyes on the word. Now we thank you. We thank you in the name of Jesus that we shut out doubt and unbelief and we enjoy a life of security and prosperity in Jesus' name and health in Jesus' name. Amen. Shout. Amen. Praise God. Ooh, the anointing's flowing today. Hallelujah. See, the, the word is anointed. What does the anointing do? It removes burdens and destroys yokes. Isaiah 10, 27. Now, let's take Holy Communion and lock in the Word of God today. Grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. See, Jesus told Peter, O oh, you of little faith. What is little faith? 
It only takes you a certain distance. But in other instances in the Bible, particularly when Jesus was dealing with Gentiles who believed him, he said, oh, you of great faith. Great faith? What is great faith? Great faith goes all the way where the miracle is fully consummated, where the miracle is fully manifested in the full blossom. It comes out fully the way God wants it to. You're going all the way with God. You're staying on the word. You're going all the way out there on the water, and you're coming all the way back into the boat. Full testimony. Full testimony. Eyes on the word. Eyes on the word. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you that as we receive this little wafer, this piece of unleavened bread, that we receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that within his body are contained all the promises and we thank you that we stand on his word. Oh, God, we praise you. Now, we receive all of his blessings and promises in Jesus' name. We come into agreement with what you said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's receive the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, that as we drink this grape juice, we consume the holy and pure blood of Jesus, which washes us from all sin, all shame. We thank you for a clean and a pure conscience. We thank you that our sins and iniquities, you remember no more. They're gone. We thank you. Father, since you don't remember them, we're not going to remember them either. Woo! Hallelujah. So, Father, as we receive the blood of Jesus, we thank you that our eyes are on what you said. And it's not open to other options. It's, we're only open to what you said. We take no consideration for doubt and unbelief. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for full manifestation of every promise and the beauty and the glory that it brings to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us drink the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's power in the blood. That's why we take communion every Sunday. There's power in the blood of Jesus. This is going to be a really, really good week for you. Get ready. Stay in faith. Eyes on the word. Find those scriptures that sustain you. Find those scriptures that support your case. Find those scriptures of divine invitation to come and do the works that God has called you to, to do. Heavenly Father, bless your people. Let them run swiftly with you this week in the spirit and in your word. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' great name, thank you, Father. Amen. God bless you. See you back next week. Till then, you be richly blessed with eyes on the Word. Bye-bye. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.